0: Hello, this is uh, Doctor S, A.K.A. Anthony Dolman Jones, or Doctor DJ, as my students call me. Um, this is going to be a rather long um, session, so um, a forewarning, because we're going to talk about something excruciatingly important: family. Da-da-da-da. Well, we all have one, or had one, whether we know it or not. Some of us have had several. There's a lot to know about families. Um, I took a tour of what used to be called International Harvester, and then became known as Navistar Corporation, who made trucks, big semi-trucks we call them. and. Um, I was doing a workshop on stress with mid-management, and the nurse who had brought me in said, do you want a tour of the plant? This was a massive plant, looked like about six battleships end to end. And I said, sure. And uh, I was amazed at what went on in there, just the massiveness of the assembly line. And at one end of the line, They put on a chassis that was made somewhere else. It was all welded together. And then the the assembly line was on like a big belt, even with the floor, level with the floor. And there were yellow lines, oh, I don't know, say 50 feet apart, depending on the concrete next to the belt. And then there were marks on the belt so that when the mark on the belt matched the mark, on the um, dock, the crew that was on there got off and the crew that was in the next you know, kind of cubby got on and each had a specific task. So the first thing was to put tires on the chassis and then it went from there to there, fenders, so forth. I had a friend, um, a, a fellow I met later, uh, years later, who worked there for... 20 something years putting on the air shield on top of the cab. He and three guys worked together uh, for 20 something years, Monday through Friday, putting on the wind deflector that's on top of the uh, cab. And of course, uh, they were all funny guys and put a lot of pranks on each other and so forth. But he told me a lot about how this worked. And um, so every step would have a supply of parts and then the guys would jump on it and they would put their piece on. And if they didn't finish, by the time it reached, it moved very slowly, by the time it reached the next yellow line, they had to jump off because there was another one coming. At the end of the line, they turned, someone turned the key and started the truck up and drove it off the assembly line. If there was anything missing, like maybe parts hadn't shown up in time, or something just wouldn't work. It was marked with a uh, big marker on the hood, and it went into a yard uh, and was stored. And then there was another line in the back of guys who specialized in fixing anything and everything. But if you, and I flew over that plant one time and looked in the back how large this storage yard of trucks still not finished. It was acres and acres of new trucks that had maybe a bolt missing or a fender that wouldn't fit or who knows what. My point is that uh, they would have been, Navistar would have been very surprised after all the work it did on the assembly line if Ford had driven off the end of it with a, a General Motors product. They start with Navistar parts, and they fully expect a Navistar truck to roll off the end. Well, it's the same way with families. We come into this life uh, pretty much a blank slate, and um, our, our genes, of course, uh, affect us a lot. It's kind of our starting point is what genes we have, but then the family begins to put parts on us. They have expectations. If you're a male, they have certain expectations. If you're a female, they have another set of expectations. You know... Um, they begin to classify you as cranky, or a sweet baby, or a cute baby, or a pretty baby, or an ugly baby, or you look just—you yeah. have the ears of your, you know, elephant ears like your Uncle Ben, or whatever. They just seem very, uh, very caught up in, in kind of shaping you up with all these expectations and labels, and um, you know, kind of uh, assessments or evaluations of you as a little baby, and you internalize these. So wouldn't it, it would be very surprising to come out of a, a very dysfunctional family that's abusive, neglectful, harmful, and then have a perfectly healthy individual pop off the other end. So families are much like an assembly line in some ways. excuse me. <clears throat> so, and that's why they're so important. I realized this because in my previous life as a psychotherapist, my observations and, and training, led me to see with with crystal clarity, the power of a family in influencing its children and as they advanced from baby to adolescence to adulthood. And what became alarming was just how prevalent these symptoms of unfinished business were still present in adulthood. And it spurred me to not only conduct research, but to start observing my clients, of which I had over 40 a week. Uh, in both individual and group sessions uh, regularly, I start seeing them with different eyes. I began to include family history workups with each client and we often were down on the floor doing charts of the family tree and looking at the heritage of of the client in terms of issues that were coming down the line to them. Uh, This uncle, this uh, grandmother had this issue and also this issue and grandpa was dealing with this. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, alcoholism in the family or drug addiction or, or criminal behavior, or mental health issues, etc., sprinkled out through the family tree. Um, it was an incredible exercise and showed the impact of one's heritage upon them, uh, the shaping of a human being. Uh, my clients uh, had their uh, awareness <laughs> increased incredibly is they begin to see uh, what had brought them to the point where they are now. So um, there was some real sadness. Um, it almost looked like an indictment that had been kind of sentenced uh, to a life of, uh, of the results of being raised in a dysfunctional family. But we came up with a slogan that uh, I would like you to remember. Uh, was very uplifting and transformative. It's not often you find a single sentence it's transformative it's almost like an incantation or a a spell or a magic uh, saying that makes things happen but this is one of those and it says this I may not be responsible for what happened up to now but it is up to me what happens from now on so that got us away from that thing of like blaming the family like uh what was that in that uh, that show says uh, officer krupke i'm depraved on account i was deprived and i used to work in the prisons I heard a lot of guys say well my family you know uh did this to me and did that to me and that's why i'm a criminal and there could be truth for that but my question to them and to you and to my clients was okay, now what? So in two words, we incorporated this statement, which I will repeat to you, I may not be responsible for what happened to me up to now, but it is up to me what happens from now on. And that can be true at any point you wake up to it, whether you're 17. 27 or 67, you can realize that from now on, it's up to you what happens. This was very empowering for my clients. I mean, gone was confusion and the feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. They just needed help in plotting a new course in their lives and developing and using their resources to help them stay strong and stay determined to change things in their life. Another pertinent little piece of history is that part of my research sought information on just what a healthy or functional uh, family that's synonymous, healthy and functional, what that actually was. I couldn't find anything that was specific in the research or in articles. Um, I couldn't find anything that was helpful. It seemed mostly a bunch of platitudes like love one another and be kind to each other and don't abuse anybody in the family. but nothing really specific you could sink your teeth into. And those who knew what was going on at that time were people in the adult children of alcoholic movement, like Claudia Plack, Virginia Satir, Sharon Wegshider-Cruz, Terry Kellogg. Um, these were people who were, who were curious about people who turned out to be alcoholics, what happened in their past that might have influenced them to become alcoholics. So especially children who had had alcoholic parents, uh, grew up with a set of symptoms. Um, So I studied sort of at their feet, uh, some brilliant people, I got to meet them, all the ones I mentioned, Claudia Black and Virginia Satir, Sharon White, Trader Cruz, Terry Kellogg. I attended every conference I could where they appeared, including John Bradshaw, he was known well, but was actually a student of, um, of Terry Kellogg's, which a lot of people don't realize. And, um, but he knew how to commercialize and popularize his books and TV appearances. Uh, he actually had a, um, a TV show for a while. But uh, he deserves a lot of credit for bringing important knowledge to the masses, so to speak, about the effects of family dysfunction. Um, unfortunately, he passed away in Houston in, in 2016, but uh, before his 80, I think, second birthday. But, but prior to that, he Raised a lot of uh, awareness about our unfinished business in our lives. So, from both my research with books and authorities in the field that I mentioned, and especially what I learned from my clients, I gradually developed an accurate picture of just what a healthy family looked like in real terms and time. And consequently, a very good picture of the opposite the unhealthy or disfun- dysfunctional family was even more apparent. Most every client I had was a victim of a dysfunctional family. Our goal in counseling was to reverse those effects and achieve a normal, healthy life, despite already being an adult. It's never too late to change, was another one of our mottos. Most of my clients admitted that inside they still felt like children, or uh, a couple of them used the word, uh, phrase, adult imposters. Uh, That admission though, was a very massive step towards recovery. The pressure of being a child inside and hiding it while keeping up appearances of being an adult create unbelievable stress on a person. And I wept with him often. It was not self-pity. It was long-deserved grief work. And there was anger. Oh boy, was there anger. So, if we look at this on a continuum, if you can imagine a uh, barometer, or ruler, or yardstick, or meter stick, or whatever lying on its side, and at one end, and there's all these degrees, you know, inches or centimeters, or, you know, um, degrees like on a centigrade or Fahrenheit thermometer, uh, imagine at one end is functional, the word functional, at the other end is dysfunctional. And so a family slides up and down on that scale. And some it's it's some days they have or some moments they can be very functional or healthy, and other moments they can be extremely unhealthy or dysfunctional. And at any one spot in time may not be indicative of where they are mostly. So we looked at where you spent m- you know, on that scale, as you as the indicator moved back and forth from functional to dysfunctional, where did it stay most of the time? Usually, it was like towards one end or the other. Um, some families right in the middle, and they dip into the functional and then they dip into the dysfunctional. Some families were so shut down that there was nothing, which is actually dysfunctional, because that's not what a family's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a vibrant, living. Uh, thing that we we're all raised up in so th- that that idea is your family functional or dysfunctional is accurate but it's also misleading so i'll just cut to the chase by saying that all families and the people in them have moments of dysfunctional or unhealthy behavior and uh, most of us also have moments of healthy or functional behavior the goal, of course, is to spend more time at the functional end and avoid behaviors that pushes towards the dysfunctional end. By and large, um, it's an oversimplified formula, but the format of X versus Y is helpful in bringing distinctive and crystal clarity to what differentiates a functional family from a dysfunctional family. Also, unfortunately, such formats can be misleading, as, as I mentioned. Families are dynamic, they're ever-changing. To statically call a family functional and another family dysfunctional might make for engaging journalism, but at any moment in time, one family could suddenly shift categories. Sometimes even the best families fall apart under pressure and do something they later regret. Or sometimes it just cannot be helped. And by the way, I want to define behavior as words thoughts, and deeds. So over time, um, I developed a thing called the dysfunctional family syndrome. I thought it was important to bring specific attributes to light um, as opposed to these kind of, as I said, kind of uh, platitudinous articles that kind of left people with, uh, well, nowhere to go, What, what do I do with that? Um, So, after years of counseling work and research in the field of human psychology and polling the best brains in the field of family systems, I proposed the following eight universal category continua for judging family health in a book that I published called Shadow Children. Uh, The subtitle is uh, because I wrote it uh, to help educators see what's happening in classrooms in kids' behaviors, often unfinished business not just their bad kids or discipline problems. There's a lot deeper stuff going on than that. So the rest, of it was called Shadow Children, Understanding the it, Understanding Education's Number One Problem. The book was based on how people in the family regard and treat one another. Again, most families probably fall somewhere in the middle of each pairing that we're gonna go over here in a minute. It's not so, Uh, much how family members act occasionally is it is what the normed behaviors are on a fairly constant basis it's the near daily consistent and persistent messages that are actively driven into the heads of children passive children taking it in and absorbing it subliminally uh, most cases those are the things that do damage or do good in a healthy family And just to give you a, a short story, I was interesting, it's interesting uh, story. I was doing a staff development workshop at a Milwaukee High School and a faculty member who as we were going through the list of dysfunctional versus functional characteristics that I had put on a slide on a PowerPoint slide, she suddenly <laughs> sits forward and says, "That's our faculty. That's us, pointing at the dysfunctional side. And more scrutiny followed by other workshop members, which led to comments such as, well, no wonder it's so terrible around here, or we should hang this in our lounge. And there was kind of a a depression uh, followed, like, oh, man, you know, it was like somebody took a photograph of us in our dysfunctional time, and there it is for all to see. Um, That's sad. I said, you know, my advice is... I know you're feeling depressed because you see out of these eight symptoms that you're doing like seven of them, but it's take heart because the chart is not only a diagnostic tool, now you can identify why you have problems in this school because it lays out a path of cure. Stop doing what's on the list that says dysfunctional. And start doing what's on the other side that says functional. Stop doing one. Start doing the other. It's really that simple. It's not easy to do. But it's especially difficult to do if you don't know what those characteristics are. And what to say yes or no to. Now... That's going to bring me to a point on affirmation, which I need to bring up, because it's, this is some of the uh, foundational material that we need to understand. We all come into this world hardwired with the need for affection and nurturing and being cherished. That is affirmation in all of its forms. As infants, we are not pre-programmed for rejection or abuse or neglect. When we run up against these threatening experiences, we usually find ways to cope and survive, but many of our coping attempts, despite being earnest, are warped. Their reactions, they're off the cuff, whatever we can come up with, and we keep using them anyway because what choice do we have? We duck and cover as best as we can. So affirmation is the most positive form of human regard. See, the scale's like this. Imagine a scale again, okay? Like a yardstick laying on its side. There are four stages. First, intolerance. Intolerance says, I detest you as you are change, or be in danger. That's intolerance. We are born ready for affirmation, meaning we're ready to accept I love you and value your uniqueness just the way you are. But intolerance is the opposite end of affirmation and says again, I detest you as you are. Change, or be in danger. Does a child know how to change in response to this? No, because the tendency of the infant human being is to just be. Ready to accept affirmation and love and nurturing and cherishing. Doesn't know what to do with rejection, abuse, neglect. That was the first of four steps on this scale intolerance. Second is tolerance. We're moving up a notch. Tolerance says, in effect, I don't really want you around. But the law or culture or family or spouse says, I have to put up with you, but don't expect me to like you. That's tolerance. I don't really want you around here, but I have to put up with you, but don't expect me to like you. That's the second stage. The third stage is called acceptance. So we had intolerance, now tolerance, now acceptance. Acceptance is nice and it surpasses intolerance or mere tolerance but it still shows a distance in a family a polite distance but a distance nevertheless it goes like this you're a child and i can expect you i cannot expect you to be anything else just yet someday you'll grow up and not be such an acceptable bother so i accept you as a child but i see you with all your flaws and you know all the trouble you bring me and the difficulties you put into my life i understand all that and i accept it um but hopefully you'll grow out of it one day <laughs> the fourth and final stage first grade intolerance intolerance and acceptance is affirmation affirmation is about commemoration it says in effect wow some people from india are moving in next door cool how long for i can go over there and get to know them affirmation is unconditional approval of something or someone exactly as they are affirmation does not ask you to change but rather celebrates you and wishes there were more just like you affirmation is what infants come into the world expecting Basically, infants expect a brass band in the delivery room, confetti, long parades of applause and attention, and for it to never end. A family, at its most functional, should be like that. Constantly affirming, regardless of whether you were born with a birth defect, don't sleep through the night for a year, or aren't the hoped-for gender. We're not talking about preferring other behaviors, not at all. Sure, I would have preferred that both of my sons would have slept straight through each night, waking only after I had brushed my teeth and had some coffee in the morning. And I wish one of them had not always detailed the cat with an enthusiastic grab. Well, almost detailed again Or the other son who stuck a screwdriver into an electric outlet and twisted it. I wish they had done that. But these things they do are not them, their behaviors, and I work to help them change. But I affirm their essence, what makes them the unique contribution to the world that they are. It is my privilege to know them, to learn from them, to work with them, and to laugh with them. I did not always do this well, but they were always treasured. And maybe that is a good synonym for affirmation. Is this asking too much of a family? Of course not. If you're not prepared to affirm children, you shouldn't have any. Because if children aren't affirmed, they act out and things get very confusing from then on. Kids do not need confusion. They need clear affirmation and direction. They need surety, security, and confidence. Parents alone have this privilege, and if they fail, the resulting symptomatic behaviors in children of all color and variety imaginable quite often come to school with the child, creating chaos and obstructive situations in what is supposed to be a learning environment. Next, we will talk about these characteristics of the functional and dysfunctional family in detail, but for now, this is Dr. Zest signing off. Thanks for listening, and please refer people to the podcast. You can go to drzest.com, and you will see up in the menu, podcast, and you can click on that, and it'll take you to all of them. Also, please look at our shop couple of my books, some apparel that we have, we're big into CBD oil because it has such great impact for some of us, um, and other things as well. And um, we have a, a blog there in four different categories, all about relationships, because that's what life really is. We have relationships and socially, we have relationships in family, as as this uh, podcast was about, We have relationships at work, and we have intimate relationships. So I try to have some blog entries on all four of those topics for you. And um, with that being said, uh, while I'm recording this, it's coming into the holiday season. I want to wish you happy holidays and enjoy your family. And if you don't have a healthy family, do what my sisters and I did. We decided, made a deliberate, deliberate decision to create our own version of a functional family, the three of us, and we've done it quite well. It's been a lot of fun, I love them dearly. So I dedicate this to you, Paige and Talisa, my dear sisters on the Arnold side, and Sandy and Linda on the Jones side, my four sisters. and who i love dearly and who are treasures to this earth and uh, as well as to you have a good day and again happy holidays this is dr Zess signing off please get on our mailing list just go to drzess.com, go to the contact form put your name in there we will let you know when the next blog or the next podcast is coming out or any specials we have in the shop any noteworthy things coming up bye